Yeah, so if you guys are watching this, we're super, super excited uh, to have you with us for about the next hour. Um, my name is Alyssa, and I am here with Ben and Andrew and Andy and Will and Bob. And um, we are part, uh, Ben and Andrew and I are a part of CSF at IEPUI. And we are having these things called CSF Scent. And we've done a couple last semester. We plan to do a couple more this semester. But we're just having really honest conversations about tough questions that college students have regarding their faith, regarding evangelism. Um, and so tonight we wanted to kick off this semester with kind of a Q&A. So maybe some of those tougher questions that um, you might not feel super comfortable um, talking to your friends about, or maybe your friends just don't even know. Um, but these are things that we all tend to wrestle with. And sometimes if we, if we can't really find solutions to them, they can really do a number on our faith. And so we have some incredible guys here tonight that are gonna help us out with some super tough questions. Um, so if, if Andy, if you would, if you wanna go ahead and uh, introduce yourself. Sure. Hi, uh, thanks for the opportunity to be here. So my name's Andrew Poland and uh, I am with Rashio Christi. I'm a chapter director with Rashio Christi. Uh, Rashio Christi means reason of Christ. And what it is is a student ministry that uh, attempts to do just that to present the reasons for Christianity. Uh, so we're interested in, in looking at not just uh, what to believe as a Christian, but specifically why should someone be a Christian? What's the evidence behind Christianity? And so we work with students and faculty and staff uh, to try to help uh, work through those issues. Uh, we look at uh, evidence from science, from philosophy, from history. Uh, what does the Bible say? Uh, to try to demonstrate that Christianity is a reasonable faith, uh, not a blind faith. And I have with me uh, Will and Bob. Uh, I'll let uh, Will introduce himself. And Bob. Yeah, hi, I'm Will Horler. Everything that Andy said. Um, I've been in campus ministry for the past 10 years with another organization, but I just uh, transferred to Rosho Christie in January. So I'm kind of the new kid on the block. And so they figured, hey, let's uh, dump them in the deep end here with our first event here. So anyway, looking forward to being here. And uh, yeah, I just second what, what Andy said about who we are and what we're about. And we're glad to be here. Bob? Yes, I'm, uh, I'm Bob Schultz. Hi, good to meet you and good, great to be here. Uh, I've, I'm also with Rashio Christie, and I've been with the organization for about a year and a half now. Um, prior to that, I've had, I've been in kind of the college and young adult ministry world for on and off about 20 or so years. Um, I also uh, teach uh, theology for a, uh, for a, a university called Horizon. Uh, Horizon University, um, and uh, you're going to probably hear me talk a lot about things like uh, church history and history of Christian thought, in addition to everything else, so uh, that's part of my background, so uh, hopefully it will come out, and hopefully it will be helpful. Awesome, and then uh, Ben and Andrew, do you guys want to introduce yourselves too? Sure, uh, so I'm Ben. Um, as Alyssa said, we've been doing this a uh, few times now. We've Got a few under our belt, which has been fun to do. Um, and yeah, looking forward to continuing it uh, through this semester. Um, I'm a sophomore here, physics major. And yeah, I'm excited for this conversation. Thank you, uh, Andy and, and gang for coming. And I'm Andrew and the lesser of the Andrews tonight. Uh, Andrew the less. <laughs> Don't you believe it. <laughs> anyway, uh, 
uh, campus minister with CSF and uh, been with CSF since the beginning. And Andy's uh, been a really close friend since the beginning too. And uh, a lot of people don't know that we have a great relationship with uh, fellow campus ministries at IEPUI. And this is yet another um, just time for us to show that that symbol of unity and, and just a, in a tangible way. And uh, I always tend to get Andy in over his head. Uh, the last time I, I hooked him into doing something, it was with a, an atheist group uh, where he was doing a, a debate. So uh, this is going to be a cakewalk, Andy. Yeah. Well, anymore, I check with Andrew to see what my semester is going to be like. I just ask him, <laughs> what do you got for me this semester? But it's always great. Real good for next time. So it's yeah, always, so, so happy to have you guys with us. Thanks. I should say before I forget, because I will forget, that uh, uh, we very much appreciate uh, the cooperative spirit. That's really part of Rashma Christie's vision is to help assist other ministries. Since we specialize in apologetics, uh, that's our goal. We, we don't do everything. We encourage our students to go to other student, Christian student organizations, and, uh, but we're here to help students if they have one or two questions, they just want to dive into those. Um, or if they want to meet regularly, that's fine too, uh, but we're just, we're available. Uh, and if you're interested in learning more about us, you can go to uh, uh, our website, rciupui.org is one we're building right now. It should be up any day. And then rciupristi.org is our national website. So that's how you can see Awesome. Well, we are super stoked to have you guys here tonight, and we are excited to pick your brain on behalf of the many students at IEPUI who share a lot of these common questions. Um, and these questions are coming from students at IEPUI. Um, and depending on our response to this tonight, I think it's going to be good. But um, we've actually already talked before this that there is a potential for us to have a couple more of these conversations this semester, and this could be this could be kept up. So we really do appreciate the unity and you guys showing up tonight and giving us your time. So, without further ado, let's hop in. Um, we'll start off with a young Earther question. Um, so this comes out of out of the basis of Genesis, where we get a picture of God creating the earth in six days and resting on the seventh. And so sometimes that's taken very literally, and sometimes that is not taken literally. Um, and so this question is, how can we believe in a young earth? So Okay, background on that. Some people believe that the earth may be about 6,000 years old, 10,000 years old, somewhere in there, a couple thousand years old. And then we have other people who believe in the earth and the universe being millions and billions of years old. So with this question, how can we believe in a young earth if science like carbon dating and uh, space time that we see in the stars proves that the earth and the universe may be much older? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I, I appreciate the way you set it up by acknowledging that there are differing views. And uh, if I can just piggyback off that for a minute before we get uh, directly to the young earth answer, which we'll give as well. But uh, it is important to understand, and I think a lot of students uh, don't know this, but, but need to know it, that uh, you can uh, take the Bible literally uh, and not believe it's uh, young, uh, not believe the earth is young. Um, there are uh, conservative Christian scholars, Bible scholars who hold the inerrancy of scripture, say they're taking Genesis literally. 
who would argue that the earth is billions of years old, but they just believe that the Hebrew can be understood in a way uh, that it's not talking about literal 24 hour periods. Um, so that's an option that's open to you. And, and, uh, and so that's something I should, you can look at the uh, evidence in the text uh, and, and scientific evidence and weigh both sides. And there are arguments from both sides. There's scientific evidence both ways. There's, uh, so I think that's the first thing to keep in mind. And the reason I mention that is because uh, if I can offer a strategy uh, to dialoguing with unbelievers, my personal strategy is simply uh, not to worry about this issue with unbelievers. I think it's a good discussion to have with believers. It's a good, it's, it's an interesting and important discussion. But it's, uh, it's not something you have to get into with an unbeliever. Why? Because either way, you got to have a God. Uh, if, if they want to argue Big Bang, then you got to have a banger. Right? Big Bangs don't come from, from nothing without a cause. You have to have a cause. Of course, if you want to go young earth, uh, God makes sense there as well. So I encourage people, if you're dialoguing with unbelievers, to stick to the big picture um, and then you know, get them saved. And then you can argue about how long it took God to do it, uh, but that he did it is, is the key. Now, um, with respect to the idea of, well, okay, let's say I've looked at all that and I'm a young earther, I wanna know how to respond. So um, there, there are a couple things to keep in mind. Um, one of the major arguments that young earthers want to bring out is uh, the idea of uniformitarianism. So there's some philosophical assumptions that are going into the idea that, um, the universe and, and the earth are very old. Uniformitarianism is one of those philosophical assumptions. And what that basically means is that uh, the present is the key to the past, that the way things operate now is the way they've always operated. And if that's true, then you've got a pretty good scientific case that things are very old. Uh, but young earth scientists want to say, uh, but we've got good reason to think that that's not always been the case, that uh, things didn't always operate the way they do now, that uh, uh, events like the flood, for example, would have a major impact on the amount of carbon uh, in the atmosphere. And, and so uh, that would have changed. Uh, it was different before. So the measurements we're using now don't equate. Uh, so those are the kind of, some of the kinds of things. Um, uh, naturalism is another big uh, philosophical assumption that God, God wasn't you know, you can't use miracle to explain any of it. And of course, uh, young earthers want to point out that some of this could have been explained uh, through supernatural means, not just natural means. So those are some of the things. And the other thing young earthers will point out uh, is they'll bring their own case, uh, their own scientific case. For example, they'll say, uh, you know, carbon-14 is found in things that are supposed to be far too old to have carbon-14. Carbon-14 dating is good for uh, roughly about 80,000 years, according to uh, secular scientists, um, if, you know, putting the flood thing aside for the minute. And, uh, but yet they find it in things like diamonds and things that are much, much older than that. And you say, well, how, how can that be uh, uh, according? That, that's, a, that's a challenge maybe to, to the old earth view, or they'll look at uh, things like blood, uh, and uh, soft tissue in dinosaurs. Uh, they're supposed to be 65 million years old and say, see, this doesn't necessarily line up with an older view. So they'll bring their own case as well. Uh, so those are some of the uh, things to consider. 
from the young earth perspective. I'll let anybody else jump in if, uh, if you uh, dare. <laughs> Will, why don't you uh, take it and I'll... Thanks, Bob. Thanks for the softball. Um, yeah, no, I really like everything that Andy said. I mean, because, yeah, you could debate this until, you know, because I, I think one of the things that from from a salvation, you know, from your own walk, it's like, I think this question tends to be kind of a, on some level, even a red herring, but it's like, it's like people use this to say, okay, if you're an old earth or whatever, then the reliability of the Bible, then God must not be true. And so, you know, and so it's not really about the age of the earth, like Andy said, it's like, it's really, okay, the old earthers and the, and the young earthers, we believe that there was, you know, there obviously was created. So there was, must've been a creator. So really keeping the focus on um, um, that, the things that are, that are infallible versus fallible. So, you know, cause like you said, the carbon 14 dating, that's been proven to be called into question. And so, you know, if you, if you go down that road and rabbit trail, you're just going to be talking about that. But, but at the end of the day, it's like, okay, well, who was the creator and was he fallible or infallible? And are you going to believe, you know, the question here, it says, how can we believe in the young earth? But it's not really about believing in the young earth. It's really about, are we going to believe in that, which is fallible or infallible and kind of keeping that focus there. So, you know, so it's kind of like, do we, do we have to believe in young or old earth in order to believe in God and the Bible? Um, and again, just getting back to, okay, what can we really put our trust in? Um, kind of man's word, God's word on, on a simplistic level. Um, but then, you know, again. <laughs> yeah, My, can I piggyback off what you just said yeah. there? Because I, I think that the nice thing that, that you're drawing out, uh, to, for me anyway, is that the Christian has an advantage here in a way because they can look at the evidence and follow it where it leads. Uh, if, it, if the evidence is that it's young, so be it, you know, uh, if the evidence is that it's old, uh, the Bible can handle that. Uh, you don't have to wash the Bible. You don't have to rip out the first three chapters of Genesis. Uh, it works. It, it is. Wor and, uh, and I've uh, gone back and forth in my own life. I've held the young earth view. I've heard that held the old earth view. Uh, now, uh, three days a week, I'm a young earther. Three days a week, I'm an old earther. And then I take the Sabbath off and just forget the whole blooming thing. So, give you know, a, you give or take a million years, right, Andy? Right, right. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> Give or take a few million years. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I think the Christian has that advantage to be able to right. honestly at the evidence and follow. And, it, and I also think you have to, you know, to kind of get to uh, the bigger picture, both for the believer and the unbeliever, is that, um, you know, you have to, you do approach the questions like with about the assumptions. What are the assumptions we're assuming? Um, and uh, for instance, is the young earth creation the only or even the best biblical position? Church history would say not necessarily. 90% uh, of church history, this was not an issue. They had people who were old earth, young earth, other weird things before Darwin was even heard of. Even the founder of the um, the movement that CSF comes out of was actually founded by an old earther. Um, Alexander Campbell was an old earth creationist. Um, and others who are in the fundamentalist movement a uh, hundred years ago, you had some that were younger, some were old earth. They were more concerned about the who rather than the what. 
Uh, so as far as, I mean, personally, I found, you know, I'm, I'm with, with Andy there. I, I've been young earth, I've been old earth. Um, and, uh, you know, currently I'm old earth a hundred percent because of what the Bible says and, and nothing else. Um, but I know other people, I, I could also make a good case for young earth too. I think there's, there's a good argument. Um, what's desperately important is that we make sure we keep what's important separate from what's most important. This is important stuff. This is, shouldn't be pushed aside, but is this about the gospel? Eh, like I said, throughout church history, not really. The major creeds that all Christians believe, the apostles, the Nicene, the Chalcedon, what do they say about this? God created it. And that was enough. So in order to really go into it, this anymore, we'd have to get a lot more complicated before we could make it easy. And I'd love to do it, but now's not the time, <laughs> probably. And, uh, and by the way, that's, I think we may have said this, but you know, we can't do everything here. We're here in town. You know, if you want to talk about these things and hash it out and argue back and forth, just give us a call. That's what we do. We love it. Happy to do it. I think two things uh, in my mind. Number one is that we don't need to put unnecessary barriers uh, in front of someone when they're trying when trying to get them to Jesus. And that, I mean, that's that's what we're all about. And I know Rocio Christie is too. Um, we want we want to lead people into a relationship with Jesus, and um, and so I, I think that that's huge. Um, and I also wanted to ask you guys if you could choose one book on this topic that you would say say sick him to a dog uh, to us, you know, to read. I've done this to Andy before. What book would you say to read if, if for a resource? You know, the, the <laughs> things are changing so fast, it's almost hard to recommend a book. I don't, I'm all, I'd almost send you to a website instead. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, what is the, there's an, uh, the New Answers book. I'm looking for it right now on my shelf. I see it uh, is a pretty good young earth book uh, if you want to study the young earth arguments. Um, uh, Institute of Biblical Creation, Creation uh, Research Society, um, Answers in Genesis. Those are all young earth perspectives. You could check out their, their work. They have scientific papers. They have more uh, you know, uh, articles for laymen. Uh, Reasons to Believe is a good, uh, a good place to go if you're interested in an old earth perspective. Hugh Ross uh, is an astrophysicist that heads that up and also Buzz Rana. Um, uh, and so, and Discovery Institute is another resource you might check out another website. They have both young and old earth, uh, but they get into uh, a lot of the scientific evidence. And, and so and there's even a, another website, um, gotquestions.org, which covers a lot of things um, from both sides too. Um, I think we even have some stuff on our Russia Christie site too, so. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of reasons to believe, uh, reasons.org. Um, they, they go really beyond even the question of the age of the earth. They, um, they will talk about issues of like, uh, uh, transhumanism or, 
um, multiverse theory and uh, you know, with serious scholars. Um, and uh, yeah, I've always been very impressed by their stuff. Awesome. Uh, I think the main thing I got out of that is that Bob isn't going to make me throw away the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, so I appreciate that. Um, I encourage you to read more. <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, thanks for thanks for taking a stab at that. And um, those are some awesome resources to, to look into further. Um, ben, you got, got our next one for us? Yes, ma'am. All right. So the next one circles more around... Um, so we, we talked about scientific. So now let's uh, move a little bit into more um, sociocultural. Um, so in the United States, especially right now, there's a, a large progressive Christianity movement. Um, but more generally, I mean, this has been a question for ages. Uh, what does the Bible, how does the Bible, the quote unquote change? <laughs> how does the interpretation of the Bible change with varying cultures, um, especially through Western thought, um, which is a really fascinating one. I think I'm sure Mr. Schultz here has looked at that a lot, um, how it changed through just the different philosophical movements that the West went through. And currently, um, we're definitely in a, in a big transition state. And so what is your guys' overall opinion of how the Bible changes or the, the understanding of the Bible and its moral underpinnings change as a culture changes? Yeah, specifically, you, oh, sorry, specifically oh, revolving around morality, I suppose we'll, we'll kind of hone in the question. Great. Uh, you've hit on uh, one of the most difficult issues regarding hermeneutics, uh, how to interpret the Bible, right? How do you interpret it in light of cultures and that sort of thing, uh, and changing cultures? And uh, it's a, it's a, it can be a tricky question for sure. Uh, I do think that there are some principles we can use uh, in interpreting scripture in order to uh, help us understand uh, how to apply it today in our culture and, and dealing with cultures back then. So three things I would bring out. Uh, the first thing that we have to ask ourselves when you go to the text of scripture is uh, you want to discover the message of the text, right? Uh, you want to use observation, you want to use interpretation, you want to try to understand the culture of that time. So that you can answer the question, what did the text mean to this original audience? How did they understand this? And then uh, the next thing you want to do is you want to discover what the truth, uh, what the universal truth or the principles are behind that text. Okay. Uh, how, in other words, how did the text apply to the original audience? What truths, universal truths are they pulling out of that? And then what you can do is take those universal truths and say, okay, how do I apply that today in the culture in which I live um, and uh, in some analogous circumstance, let's say. Uh, so you can take an issue like uh, 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 head coverings, right, uh, with women. Uh, and Paul talks about uh, women needing to wear head coverings in the church. And uh, uh, you say, well, you know, most churches today, there are some who still argue that needs to happen, but um, many of them say that that doesn't need to happen today. So what, what do we do with that? How do we understand that? Uh, well, the first thing you need to do, right, is taking the principles I said, you need to look at what did that text mean to the original audience, right? And if you understand the culture that day, you realize that, well, uh, 
not wearing the head covering uh, was considered a, a sort of a rebellious act, more or less. Uh, it was uh, bucking at the authority of your husband. It was uh, considered uh, somewhat you know, promiscuous, uh, loose morals kind of thing. And so uh, Paul's saying that's the, that's the last thing we want to be doing in, in church is promoting that kind of, of view. We, we want to promote harmony and unity in, in marriages and things like that. Um, Okay, well, what truth can we pull away from that, right? Well, uh, that women should uh, respect their husbands and honor their husbands. They should dress in a way that's, a, uh, that's appropriate. Uh, so how do we apply that then today? Well, head coverings for most people don't have uh, that kind of the same meaning. In other words, if a woman's not wearing a head covering, that doesn't mean the same thing it used to mean back then. But we can still look at that and say, uh, she can respect her husband in different ways, you know, that, that are culture, culturally appropriate today. She can dress in a way that's uh, godly still, right? So uh, we might need to rethink uh, the way some of the women in the culture are dressing. We may not, that may not be appropriate for women in the church to be dressing. So you can take those truths and apply them today. Uh, so it's finding the universal truth uh, and then learning how to apply it in the culture in which you live. Right. Um, I was, uh, you know, can't, can't argue with any of that, um, nor will I. But, you know, when we're dealing with these cultural things, there's a few things we just need to be honest with ourselves about and realistic. Um, first of all, there's no substitute for a lot of prayer, a lot of time and meditation on scripture, and seeking out wisdom from others. Uh, and that still does not make it easy and you won't always get it right. And thank God for the grace of God because he can, he, gets, he takes care of that. Um, but, you know, I think there are a few things that scripture does lay out that, uh, well, maybe doesn't answer everything. Uh, it might provide some guidelines. Uh, and uh, honestly, they're very basic. The golden rule treating others the way you want to be treated. Now we're going to have to be engaging, um, whether we're engaging in evangelism or just in the office or a class without the specific, uh, you know, kingdom mission intent, you know, at that moment. Um, and since we're always on, but um, even, even then we, we wanted to ask ourselves, how do we want people to treat us when they disagree? With, with you. How do you want, how do you want people who disagree with you to treat you? Be treated in that way. How do you want people, or friends, family, strangers, uh, to call out your sin? How do you, how do you want them to share their faith with you, or their opinions or convictions? Um, I mean, don't. Don't be. Don't want to not be treated that way, and then treat them that way. That's that's hypocrisy. You know. So if it's uh, so, so the golden rule, you know, covers a lot. Not everything, maybe. And again, we don't get it perfect. But that transitions also into uh, the greatest commandment: love God, love others. Um, you know, ask the question. Does this honor God as he's revealed himself in scripture, as, he, as he's revealed himself in Christ? 
Uh, does it reflect his character and his priorities? Um, does this exhibit my, my trust in, in him or is this just self-protection? Um, and, you know, you gotta, you, gotta, you gotta really search your heart. It's like, am I calling this wisdom or am I just trying to avoid something? In different people, different situations, it might be different. Uh, maturity level, so many things going on. That's why it's hard to put anything terribly, uh, you know, final on this. And uh, does your love of others demonstrate his love? Does it, uh, how, how does, we ask ourselves, how does, how does God demonstrate his love to us? Well, it's not by affirming everything. It's not about tolerating. It's not about all that weak crap that's being shoveled at us all the time. No, it's, it's the son of God coming to earth to live a misunderstood life to be in the dirt with us, and then to die a painful, humiliating, unjust death on behalf of his murderers. Um, that, that, that's, that's love, okay? That, that, that's what, when we say, do the loving thing, that's, what we're, that, that's our standard. Um, so yeah, you're gonna, if you're gonna love like Jesus, you're gonna get hurt, you're gonna get misunderstood, you're gonna get humiliated, rejected, accept that reality, know that his grace is sufficient, or just get out of this because <laughs> it ain't getting easier. Um, so that's not so much apologetics as hopefully just, you know, God's word applied very directly. Uh, ben, you mentioned um, uh, progressive Christianity at the beginning, and I just want to take a moment to say, if that is something you want to look into, here's the book you want to be reading. This came out it's called Another Gospel. Uh, by Alyssa Childers, uh, it it's it's a fantastic on that subject, and she's got a she's an apologist, former Christian uh, contemporary Christian musician, the Zoe girl, um, and uh, now an apologist, and has a great uh, a great podcast too. I encourage you to check it out. Awesome, thank you. Um, so this might be doubling back on what has previously been said, but we talk about progressive Christianity as this all-in cultural movement where everything and anything is considered loving, right? As long as you're edifying yourself and others, it's loving. So what about the opposite of that? So I'm, I'm not, it's a, um, a good example of this, this is going to sound terrible at first, but like the Amish. So I live um, up near Shipshawana and Napanee where there's a large Amish population. And they, I mean, with good intentions, honestly, have chosen to walk away from culture, mainstream culture, definitely, but culture in general and said, no, we're gonna live an undistracted, undisturbed life focused on God. Well, that's the intent, focused on God and family. And I mean, they don't tr definitely don't try and pull other people into their uh, faith. That's a that's a shunnable offense almost. Um, uh, and vice versa, leaving the Amish church is considered a, um, a grave offense to both family and church. So how do we deal with something on that side of it where we become so within ourselves that progression, even good progression in terms of cultural interaction is, um, is negatively viewed? How do we keep from that? Real quick, I think 
same thing might apply, you know, what's the example of Jesus? Um, now, again, we got to remember, we are not Jesus. But is this moving in? Are we progressing in a, in a Jesus-like direction? Does it mean doesn't mean you have to necessarily eat with tax collectors and sinners if that is a problem for you right now, if that's to cause you to sin. But leaning into that love, taking that risk, I, I think is the way to go most of the time. But yeah, no easy answer. I don't, I don't know. Uh, Steer me in a different direction, Ben. If I'm if I'm misunderstanding, but uh, I I took your question to to be talking about you know kind of going to the opposite extreme of, of uh, withdrawing from culture because of, uh, of the sin in culture. Uh, if if that's the direction you're going, uh, I would just say you know I don't think that's biblical. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, just look at the Book of Acts. <laughs> I don't see Paul withdrawing. Uh, from engaging the culture, he is all over the map, <laughs> literally, right? Uh, Jesus says, uh, go, right, and make disciples of all the nations. Uh, and uh, that's a participle there, going, you can translate it, going, you know, it's, we're, we're out there doing that, you gotta do it, so. It's important uh, to remember that Jesus was not a moral crusader, okay? Um, that's not what he came to do. In fact, if anything, he was the one group of people he went after were the moral crusaders, the Pharisees. Um, so that means, you know, we can kind of pull ourselves back and say, you know what? I, I can be amongst these people without having to destroy them. Um, lest Jesus destroy me. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, with all due respect to the Amish, um, that is probably not the best move most of the time. There may be times it is in certain situations. I don't think that's one of them, in my my opinion. Yeah, I don't mean to pick on the Amish. I mean, I know they'll never hear this, so <laughs> what are they I don't do? mean to hit people that hit people that won't hear. But no, I, I just um, yeah, just that idea. Um, just well, I think it's a I think it's a paradox too, because on the one mm -hmm. hand, okay, Scripture says don't be like the world, you know, flee the things of the world. But, you know, the Great Commission, go into all the world. And so, you know, there's that fine balance of, okay, how am I impacting the world around me? Um, and reaching people that, you know, if I'm just in my own little group, you know, the circle that I'm around, bigger, won't, won't hear about the gospel. And so, yeah, much, yeah. taking much those sections of... We'd much rather have someone give us a bunch of rules and have to trust Jesus. Um, and this is a situation where we just need to trust Jesus. And that he's he's sovereign. The big picture, uh, biblically, seems to me to be that uh, spiritual reform trumps social reform, because uh, you, you've got to get the spiritual reform first. You got to get the vertical relationship with God fixed, because if you don't get the spiritual reform, the heart transformation, you're not going to get uh, the social reform. You're not going to get the horizontal. Uh, I would argue you can't have the horizontal without the spiritual but if, even if you could have the horizontal uh it's not going to necessarily lead to the spiritual but if you get the spiritual right first that will lead to 
the horizontal, uh, case in point slavery, right? Uh, God gets the hearts of men right first, and then guys like Wilberforce, Wilberforce come along and realize we got to fix the horizontal because his vertical is right first. The one leads to the other if you get the spiritual first, and that's the big picture. I think that's the thing we need to keep in mind. Well, when it comes to culture, our main mission is uh, the spiritual reform first. Uh, we can't, uh, you know, what's the point in blaming uh, sinners for being sinners? You know, that's what they're going to do, right? Amen. Uh, we want to get them saved. And then we can get them. Yeah. <laughs> Let but the like spirit said, work on the, on the uh, cultural things. <laughs> but like Will said, there's a paradox here. And uh, we just got to live with that. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, I believe Alyssa has the, the next topic of conversation. Yeah, um, so very nicely piggybacking off of what was just said, um, talking about, okay, well then, if, if we're going to bring people into, into this fold and, um, and help like point them to Jesus and, and introduce them to him and have him do this reformation in their life, spiritually and then of course morally talking about large evangelism um number one just why share our faith um and then within that okay then then we get to the how and so i've seen it done a lot of different ways i've seen it done a lot of destructive ways and i've seen it done a lot of really helpful ways and so some of those is like people hanging out on street corners and just like anyone who will hear an earshot, like, hey, this is the gospel. Um, and then I've heard other people and have done this in my own life where it's like, hey man, we're gonna, we're gonna build this relationship over the next four, five, 10 years. And then when the time is right, I'm gonna share the gospel with you. So uh, street corners versus super long relationships and why do we do it in general? Oh, great question. Bob, did you wanna go first or you want me to? You know what? I have a lot to say. So why don't you guys say what you need to say and then I'll do my, my spiel. Well, those are great questions. Uh, so I'll take why is it important to share, first of all. Uh, well, here's three reasons. Uh, God commands it, love demands it, and our faith expands from doing it. It grows as a point of doing it. So God commands it. We know this over and over again in scripture. He calls us to be evangelists. Paul tells Timothy to be an evangelist. Uh, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.13, I believe, therefore I spoke, right? Uh, so we're called again and again to, to share it. Uh, and I think love demands it. Uh, love demands it because a person's destiny is at stake. Uh, a person's flourishing is at stake. Uh, and a person's purpose is at stake. You know, their eternal destiny is at stake. If you really love them, uh, then the loving thing to do is to give them the truth about Christ, about their sin, about their need for salvation. Uh, and a person's flourishing is at stake too, because uh, why wouldn't you want somebody to have the fruit of the spirit in their lives? I mean, isn't it wonderful to have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control in your life, uh, to have the spirit to help you to walk this Christian life? I mean, why wouldn't you want someone to have that? It, it, it helps people. It's a wonderful thing. Uh, plus the assurance of salvation, right? And then a person's purpose is at stake. I mean, we were created to love God and have uh, and to glorify him, to have a loving relationship with him. And so we, as, insofar as we want people to uh, recognize and be able to uh, 
flourish in the reason they're here? What is their purpose? That's the question students ask me more than any other on campus. What's my purpose? <laughs> Your purpose is to glorify God and have a loving relationship with him. And I want students to know that. So uh, that's another thing. Uh, uh, and then uh, our faith expands from it. I'll just say this. If you're getting a little bored with your Christian walk, if you're in a little bit of a, a lull, just go out and start doing evangelism and see what happens. I'm telling you, it's going to light up. Uh, the spirit is going to start working in your life. You're going to start getting challenges, questions. Your faith is going to get on fire. So if you're looking for a little something to spice up your Christian walk, just start uh, sharing the gospel with people and just or engaging in spiritual conversations. So that's uh, that's my answer to the why. I'll I'll let somebody else to jump in now. Let, let me also yeah I, I really like that what you said there and you know because on the one hand also eternity matters if if we really love people um, friends family whatever eternity matters and I want to read you a quote this was really powerful by by an atheist maybe you've heard of him his name is Penn Gillette he's with the uh, duo magician Penn and Teller and he said something that was really powerful he said. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could go to hell or not getting eternal life and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? So really, it's like if we really love people, we're going to want to tell them the truth. We're going to lovingly want to tell them the truth. Um, you know, it, you know, and, and we have to use our words because, you know, there's a there's a thought out there it's like preach the gospel and, and if necessary use words by saint francis of assisi which which sounds nice but the the bible says you know how are they going to hear unless we're preaching unless they hear it he never said um, that that's a lie but everyone blames him <laughs> that's your church history moment <laughs> that, hey thanks bob um but yeah but also you know in regards to street corner versus relationship i think it's a both and because in scripture we're called to always be prepared to give an answer for the hope you know, the reason for the hope that we have. Um, but in the same vein, it's like, I think of uh, missionaries that go overseas who, um, you know, they're going to a people group and, and they've got to learn and, and engage with them for, you know, five or 10 years sometimes before they even have that, you know, respect and authority to, to even present the gospel. Um, so much in the same way, it's like, we need to get to know um, our people groups, our friend groups, our, you know, the people that we go to, to understand, okay, how do, how do they operate? But then how can I make the gospel applicable to them? Um, as an example, I, um, I used to work for an energy, energy company before getting into ministry and uh, it, working with a lot of engineers and, you know, heady type people. And I was like, man, how can I share the gospel with these people? Well, I was flipping through some documents one day and I found this document talking about oil refining. And they talked about things like um, separation, conversion, and purification. And I'm like, there's the gospel right there. And so I, I put together a presentation called Oil Refining 316, you know, that, that basically used oil refining to then, you know, piggyback into the gospel. And so, you know, you're getting to know your audience um, and speaking the gospel in terms, in ways that they can understand it. So, and to keep it simple too, because I think so many times we tend to overthink things and make things deeper. You know, it's like, oh, I've got to have all the answers right now. When, you know, no, get the gospel right. And, and, you know, the age of the earth and things, secondary things, you know, you can cross that bridge later. So just keep it simple. Yeah, you kind of have to find out, get your footing and figure out where you are because everybody's at a different spot. And uh, you got to think about 
those of us who were raised in church, uh, how many times we've heard the gospel. And even if we never responded to it, and if someone tells it to us a fresh, you know, like just eye-opening way, we might respond. But someone who hasn't heard the gospel, it may take them a while to really believe it, you know, and uh, to believe the whole thing about grace and how it's unearned and um, it's only by faith. And, oh, man, that's just a wild idea. And I think my knee-jerk reaction is to be too pushy. and. Uh, so I kind of have to fight against that. But I think other people, they're not assertive enough, you know. So you kind of have to just really be led by the Spirit and actually just use your brain and pay attention, ask questions, and they'll tell you where they're at. And then from there, we could do a lot of praying, a lot of sharing, and it's just going to take time. We have to be okay with that. And, uh, and I think if we're going to make lifelong disciples, that's just my opinion. Yeah. Well, one last thing. It's like at the same time, the gospel never changes, but how we relate that to our different people groups is going to change because it's like the way I share the gospel with you know engineers. I even do a, a pro wrestling outreach. So I, I share the gospel with pro wrestlers. Um, and that's going to be different than, you know, somebody in college who, you know, for me to go into their people group isn't going to be as effective as, as them speaking to their peer groups. So again, seeing the people that you connect with and uh, making that gospel understandable in a way that they, they're going to be able to, to connect. Bob, what do you have to say about that? You're muted, Bob. Okay, sorry. All right. Well, yeah, I got a ton to say. Well, let me, you know, why do we do this? Why, why should we? Well, to be honest, I think the one question is why this is important is because Jesus is magnificent. He is wonderful. He is worth being excited about, worth talking about. You know, people seem to know that even then, you know, he would heal somebody and Jesus would say, don't, don't tell people. And they still couldn't help themselves, but go tell people, you know, and well, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that. Um, but, you know, what were they doing? They were, they were witnessing. And I want to, I want to look at some of the words we use. Okay. So we, we, use, we talk about sharing our faith, we talk about witnessing, we talk about evangelism, uh, and we use that very interchangeably. Now, the reality is witnessing and evangelism are not the same thing, okay? They're different words, they're different meanings, um, but God uses them together often. So witnessing uh, comes from the same word we get martyr, and um, that, which is kind of the ultimate witness. But witnessing is basically to testify to something. So if I were to uh, do a testimonial on this body scrub and, you know, got my skin clean and I smelled great. My confidence was up and I felt strong and my wife was paying attention to me and I lost 20 pounds and this stuff is great. I have given you a testimony to this, right? And it may be true. Let's assume it's true. I haven't actually told you anything about this, though. I've told you its effect on my life. Okay, but this is not the substance. This, 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 is, this is, my testimony is not this. Um, now, what is evangelism? Evangelism is the sharing of the story of the gospel, the, the telling of the what, you know, what the gospel is, 
the coming of Christ, his life, death, burial, resurrection, his coming again, and how that gets applied to us. So one is kind of, a witness is sort of a, a uh, uh, I don't know if subjective is quite the right word, but it's, it's my story or it's, it's a story or it's a presentation on behalf of some object or something, um, but it is not the thing. Now, the thing is, here's the gospel. You know, you share that. And anywhere in between there, you might have to do an apologetic. And all this is to make disciples. So you see in Acts 1.8, we're called to be a witness. In Matthew 27, go and make disciples. Surprisingly, we aren't actually commanded that much to evangelize. But in the discipleship side of things, you know, that's tougher. And that definitely involves evangelism. You have to tell the truth at some point. But we are definitely commanded to witness. And for me, that's very freeing. It's like, you know what? I can do that anywhere at any time with anybody. It might be small. It might be detailed. And if the spirit's moving, you know, we, well, we might be planting. All right. We might be planting a seed. And that might be all you get to do. And that's great. Sometimes you might get to harvest. You do that once, you plant once, you harvest once. How many times do you water? Lots. So we witness, we share how uh, Christ has changed us. We explain that through apologetics, you know, both in terms of the mental and the emotional, um, the social, how this works out. Why, why is this hope within us? You know, that's a further witness. Um, and all along, we, we don't know what God's doing necessarily, but we can do that one thing. We can always witness. And again, we pay attention to the spirit and just let him lead when to take up that next step. And all this stuff can get mixed up together. Of course, you know, this isn't, I'm kind of artificially dividing them, but when I think when we realize we are free to just share how Christ is transforming us and you, you know, and see if that sparks some interest. Let me, let me tell you a little more. Let me give this to you. Now you have the substance of it. Um, I can't pour it on you. Um, I guess I could, but uh, I, I can't, you know, any more than I can force a plant to grow. I can't force a harvest. I can kill something doing that. Um, but if I just keep it simple, let me share my life. And everywhere in my life, Jesus is active and changing and redeeming and correcting and encouraging. And I'm not going to be weird about it too much. But there's something compelling about that, isn't there? And then you learn a little more. Well, what about this? Oh, that's compelling too. This Jesus person is compelling. 
So for me, that's how you, that's how it's done. You know, you know, we can witness our and see what God does with that and they'll do all kinds of good things. I like what you talked about, just watering and planting seeds. Cause I think so many times too, um, we think, okay, I'm presenting the gospel. I've got to get to the point where they make a decision. And oh my gosh, what if they don't make a decision? This, that, and the other. But we got to remind ourselves, it's not up to us on how people decide. You're you not know, the our, yeah, we're not, I'm not the Holy Spirit. You know, and so Spirit. my responsibility is to love them enough to tell them the truth and then let the Holy Spirit take that and then let God harvest that. Versus, and yeah. yeah. And ideally, that's coming from a place of just remembering how magnificent he is i heard it once that evangelism is just the overflow of christ in your life and i think there's something to that i think there's more to it than that but i think apart from that uh oh yeah god can work but it's better to have him working through you rather than in spite of you um so i i agree with everything you said bob uh, in terms of you know witnessing can be more than just words it can be a life style and that sort of Thing. Uh, I'm wondering if we have time, uh, can I jump into some practical uh, ways to do evangelism though? Because for me, um, uh, I do want my life to be a witness and, and, uh, and evangelism to naturally flow. Uh, but uh, for a long time, it was a real challenge for me to figure out how do I actually get to the evangelism part? Uh, you know, the witnessing and yeah, he always a nice person and Oh, this sort of thing oh, will change life or whatever. But how do you actually share the gospel? And the hardest thing for me was creating a context to share the gospel. I wasn't one of these guys who uh, was a street corner guy, um, but I wanted to share the gospel. So how do you create that context in a conversation? Start talking about Jesus. Uh, and actually, as I was reading John chapter four, uh, and I saw how Jesus does it with the woman at the well. You, you notice a couple things that he does that I think we can pull from. Uh, first of all, he uh, connects with this woman, right? He connects with her. He starts a conversation with her and he starts talking to her just about um, water, right? Uh, but then he takes that and he creates an opportunity. Uh, he starts to talk about living water. He starts to raise spiritual kinds of issues, starts to move the, the discussion in that direction. So he connects, then he creates, and then he conveys the spiritual truth. So how do we take that idea uh, and apply it to ourselves? Well, here's the approach that I've come up with that I use quite often. It's called background gospel response. Three steps, background gospel response. First step, background. Just ask somebody about their spiritual background. Do you have a spiritual background? Okay, that's creating a context to then get into the gospel. But you're just laying a basic context, you know. Uh, and, and if that's even too awkward for you, just start with their basic background. You know, where are you from? What are you studying? Blah, blah, blah. And then move into, you know, what do you do on the weekends? You ever go to church? You have a spiritual background? You can just, you can move into it as gradually as you need to. But get to that idea of where we're talking about a spiritual background. Then from there, you take step two, gospel, right? Hey, what do you think of the Christian gospel? Just curious. Now, they may look at you and say, what are you talking about? I have no idea what that even is. Great. Uh, well, you got to hear about this. Let me tell you about it. You know, it's really good news. Uh, that can open up the door to actually share the gospel. 
And then the third step, don't miss the third step, response. What do you think about what you just heard? I just shared the gospel. With you. What do you think of it? What questions do you have? Uh, and they may have questions. They may have challenges. Or they may say, yeah, sounds good. Well, then is there any reason you wouldn't want to be a Christian today? Is there any reason you can think of you didn't accept Christ? So just those three little steps, background gospel response, is one practical way that I have found very helpful uh, to get into spiritual conversations. We can very easily get to the gospel. So uh, I don't know if anybody wants to piggyback off that, but uh, I think you're absolutely right. And um, when you are sharing the gospel, you want to make sure you get to it. You know, you want to, you know, as much as is, is possible. I mean, there might be times that isn't possible or necessary, you know, um, there isn't really a gospel presentation, you know, outline given in the Bible that we need to use, you know, every time you see something like that, it looks a little different. Uh, but uh, I would, only thing I would add to that was um, kind of back to the hypocrisy thing. Um, uh, and, and this is something that concerns me a little bit with a lot of evangelism techniques. We end up relying on those rather than the spirit to guide us. Um, and we end up not really doing evangelism very well, if at all, um, because we're not doing it from a, we're doing it from a hypocritical place, you know, and it's maybe borderline sinful, um, you know, regardless, or it could be under compulsion rather than out of love. Um, yeah, you again, don't want people to think, oh, good. No, go ahead. Well, yeah, you, you don't want people to think that they're your project. You know, you want you right. want to love them, and yeah. and and say you know build that relationship. So that you know, speaking into building the relationships, um, versus hey, you know, will you do this survey for whatever? And um, yeah, and some people are very natural. I mean, I've I used to work with a guy who would ask the most blatant to me, awkward sounding thing. And he, he got, a, I wouldn't say he got away with it. He was gifted. Had I tried that technique, I probably would have got fired. Even though I was still a nice guy. And, and I mean, you know, I could have done it the same way. It sounded the same, everything, but, um, you know, God uses people through their gifts and he uses, and he works through our weaknesses when we don't have the gifts um so he gets glorified out of the way um but yeah trust the gospel trust jesus trust the spirit don't trust yourself don't trust the technique use the tools but the tools are not the gospel the gospel is the gospel um and uh there's a lot of power in that i love that like no one can share the gospel like you can and uh i think that's we can say the same exact we're saying the same message but we all have going back to the second set question we answered it it's about influence right and so we're we're there we're gathering as much influence and loving as many people as we can so at the right time when it's ready for us to say the right thing at the right time we're there we're ready we're not afraid to say it and we're saying it in a way that is going to be loving and 
and uh, even confronting sometimes because love is not always comfortable. Mm -hmm. So, love it. Well, thanks for taking a stab at that question. Um, I wanted to add just one last thing. We are killing it all the time. Um, but something that's been super helpful for me, um, especially if you are totally new to sharing your faith or any type of having any type of spiritual conversation, um, I, I just want you to know, like, it's okay to practice important conversations. Um, so we practice interviewing before a really important job interview, right? And so it's totally okay for you to uh, grab a great Christian friend or, or grab someone who you know is in ministry and to sit down and, and play pretend, play that conversation out and give them an opportunity to kind of challenge you on, on what you would say, because you do have to present information in those conversations. So it is totally cool for you to, to kind of practice that and see how that would feel. And, and so by doing that, you feel a little bit less awkward when it when it's actually happening um, and you're sharing those things with an unbeliever for the first time. So yeah. just a little bit of pro tip right there. Oh, it's been yeah. super helpful for me. Yeah, um, you, can, you can't share it unless you know it. So yeah, yeah, know absolutely. what you're talking so, about. Cool. Yeah. Winging it doesn't mean you're authentic. It just means you're playing by the seat of your pants. Right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, um, cool. Well, our last question, Ben, you got us? Sorry, can find me, Ben. Yeah. Um, so this is a bit of a, <laughs> uh, a left turn, but that's all good. Um, so our last question revolves around God's response to our prayer and our responsibility in it. So a lot of times we hear people say, oh, I'm praying for you or um, God will come through. God will do this. Um, I'm praying that this happens. I get the job. I um find my dog, whatever it may be. Some of them are really important. Some of them are trivial. Um, and I think that point that they're trivial or important and all of it's under the auspice of, oh, I'm praying for, to God. I think that kind of minimalizes the idea of God actually answering prayer. And so I'd love to hear you guys' thoughts on the Christian perspective of why do we pray and why should we expect God to answer um, in terms of like miracles or um, uh, however he chooses to respond? And um, also kind of in that, uh, a bit of a deeper question, we see this throughout the Bible. Moses um, had changed the mind of God. Um, and so what exactly does that look like? Can God have a plan? And we say, oh, well, God, I'm your son. I have this feeling. And God says, oh, okay, I will save you. I'll spare you. Um, like, what was it? He, if I'm not going to get the numbers right, but if like 50 men are righteous, I'll save the city of 20, of five, if one. Um, and so what is changing the mind of God? So that's kind of the secondary question. So we can start with what are miracles? How can we get a response from God? Sorry, that was really packed. I think, uh, go ahead. I'll just, I'll just hit it real quick. Um, ben, you, you referencing that passage out of uh, Genesis, um, Abram, or maybe it's Abraham at that point. Um, but you take the next verse or two, and what's he say? Will not the God of all creation do what is right? And for me, that is a, um, 
a very comforting kind of catch-all <laughs> um, for me, you know, for lack of a better term. Uh, you know, I don't always know what is right. I don't know always how this is supposed to work out. I don't know if, if I like it, you know, or if I agree with God, but I know his character. And regardless of my getting it or not, will not the God of all do what is right? And the answer is yes. So for me, that is the, a biblical answer to a lot of unanswered prayers, a lot of, a, a lot of uh, questions about God's goodness, on and on. So. I mean, on the one hand, yeah, God is sovereign and he's going to do what he's going to do, how he's going to do it or not do it. Um, but at the same time, scripture talks about how we have this relationship with God. And so part of a relationship is communicating and God wants to hear from us. He wants, you know, scripture says to, to always pray, not lose heart, but you're praying according to God's will and his timing. And, and just, but the fact that God is our father and he wants to hear, you know, what we're praying for, whether it's your dog or, or a job or whatever, um, because he cares for us. Um, now what he does with that, you know, just, be, you know, it's, it's always funny because like, well, I'm praying for this. And, and if it doesn't come through, you know, it's like, is God any less God because he didn't answer something the way I wanted him, you know, he, it's not, you know, he's not the Santa Claus or, you know, that's going to answer all my wishes, but at the same time, you know, I need to have that relationship with him to say, you know, Hey God, I'm really concerned about X, Y, or Z. Um, and I think God honors that. But again, it's all, you know, he's going to do what he's going to do, how he's going to do it. So, I mean, there have been many times in my life where it's like I would pray for something and it would turn out, but it wouldn't turn out the way I envisioned it. So on the one hand, it's like, oh man, that you didn't really answer that the way I, I was hoping, but yet you answered it even better than with even what I was hoping, you know. I, uh, I think that Prayer is, uh, is our chance to speak to God. God talks to us, speaks to us in his word, and uh, prayer is a chance for us to speak to him. And uh, I, uh, I, I don't think the question is necessarily, um, do our prayers change God's mind? I think the question is, when we're in prayer, do we allow God to change our mind? That's a chance. Prayer is a chance for us to get aligned with God's will. That's what uh, when, when the disciples ask Jesus, uh, teach us how to pray, what does is, what is he teach him? He says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's, uh, it's us getting in line with God's will. And uh, so that's what I think, uh, that's why we pray. And there's also a, a mystery um, that... Uh, we need to acknowledge and kind of get comfortable with that we don't know how all this works out. And, um, and you know, I'm a big sovereignty of God kind of guy, you know, um, to the point that make most people uncomfortable. Um, but even by saying that, I think I look at who God is, I look at his um, character and his attributes. He is omnipresent, omniscient, omnivorous, all the other omnis. And he, so he is, you know, we, we're, we're talking about God as if he lives and works in, on the plane of time. When actually he's kind of in this eternal now, I think. So, you know, it's kind of like you're looking at a timeline. And when you're looking at that timeline, you're everywhere on that timeline. Well, God's kind of doing that too. 
So he's over it all. He knows what's happening. He's in control. Um, and he, he's present at every, every point with us. Emmanuel, God with us in every sense of the form, way. Whether he came, when he came in flesh uh, or any time before or after. Um, he is that close. And yet he's so transcendent. And I don't get it, but it's cool. And I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> I kind of piggybacking on what you guys were saying. It's like, you know, praying for his will, not our will. And, and I think that's one of the hardest things because it's like when we're praying for something, obviously selfishly, it's like, if, if my wife is sick, I want her to get well. Um, but at the same time, it's like having that relationship, that deeper relationship with the Lord to say, okay, I may not understand this, but, you know, your will be done. I mean, just look at Jesus on, you know, at Gethsemane, you know, take this cup from me, but not my will, let you know, your will be done. And just having that deeper, you know, you know, I don't understand how this is going to work out, but I'm trusting you through these prayers um, to answer them for your glory and for your will to be done. You ever just say, God, your will be done, but here's what I want. Yeah. Well, yeah. And also too, it's like, it's not like God is up there. Wow. I never really thought about it that way, Bob, you've changed my mind. I mean, I, you know, I, you know, well, I can, I can summarize what, what Bob and Will said in one verse, uh, which uh, I think was great. But first John uh, five fourteen says this, this is the confidence which we have before him, before God, right? That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, how cool is that? We've got an all-powerful, all-knowing God. We need to get aligned with his, his will, his plan, but that God hears us. You know, he's not stone. He's not an idol. Uh, he's not dead. He's living. He hears us. He's close to us. He's with us. He's in the world in, in us. It's pretty fantastic. Yeah. Kind of, kind of bring it back to our talk in Genesis. Um, you know, what was Genesis, what was Moses writing to? What was he writing about? He was writing to a people who had heard a, it's been hundreds of years apart from, you know, in, in someone else's story, in the Egyptian story, in the stories of the nations around them, they kind of lost their identity, lost who they were. Um, were they, was God really Marduk and the universe bits and pieces of Tiamat? Um, or bit just what was going on or just one of these other gods no he in the beginning god created the heavens just that's your god he was setting out to a person to a people who were confused about where they belonged in the universe because they've been slaves for hundreds of years told who they were and now they're free and god says this is who you are and this is where you're going and this is who i am and uh and I think that's what he's telling us and what he's tell, still telling the world um, and what we're, what we're telling them and what we're praying for. That isn't to shy away from asking for the impossible. Um, I'm not as well. <laughs> that God can, can do that. I mean, I think uh, we see slews of, uh, examples in the Bible where God moves supernaturally in response to prayer and uh, we can't rule ourselves out as being a part of that group where God will um, can 
force he can in every instance whether or not he will um, but I think the point you guys are making the closer we get to him and his will we will understand what we need to be praying for right mm -hmm. and there will be those things I think time and time again where we're like I don't really know what, what that is right now so mm -hmm. but I'm just going to pray this direction is as good as I possibly can uh, to try to just to see how close I can get to God and to see something impossible happen, like someone's conversion, for instance, or things that we know for sure are God's will. I think those are the things we really need to focus a lot more in prayer. Um, but oftentimes we get distracted by things that we can't control and we have no idea what's going on. And I think it's okay to say that in prayer too, you know, to be completely honest. Absolutely. Amen. The prophets certainly did, didn't they? <laughs> they laid it out there. You know, Habakkuk. God, I don't get it. I don't, I don't get it. And what's God's response? Sure don't, buddy. And if I told you, you wouldn't understand. <laughs> mm -hmm. But it's okay to, to share God. He already knows how he, mm -hmm. how he feels. So share with him. That's a pretty cool thing. I wish we had more time. <laughs> this is fun, yeah. guys. Let's do this again. Yeah, hopefully. That would be great. Yeah, well, absolutely. Go for it. Oh, I was just going to say thank you. Um, yeah, I think we've, uh, we're a bit, a little bit over. Um, I don't think that was an error, though. Listening to you guys has been a real blessing. So I'm so glad that you guys were able to make it. Um, thank you for sharing your wisdom. And um, if you don't mind, I'll pray us out. And then, um, then Alyssa will stop the recording. So I'll pray. So God, um, thank you so much for uh, letting it be in your will that we get together um, and uh, just be able to talk about these real issues and uh, encourage the students of uh, CSF and beyond to truly dig into their personal faith, um, the faith of those around them, and of um, ultimately to be able to um, share that faith with uh, their non-believing friends um, or non-believing strangers, whoever they may come across. Um, so I just pray that as we, um, as we move on from tonight, that we feel encouraged and that we're just ready to get out there and, and uh, both witness what we've experienced and evangelize what you're doing. So it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.